checking mic one mic one check one oh those akgs you can't beat them oh man some of the best that d5 d5 yeah d5 D5. yeah yeah. A lot of people like the six. I I think the five's better. No, no, no. Five's, five, five's where to go. I yeah. felt like they they took a risk with the six. They kind of like, and it could have paid off, but it didn't. And right. I'm I'm gonna stay five all the way. Yeah. Go with true blue. That's right. Be five. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 247. This is Christmas week. Episode. It is Christmas week. This and is great. A lot of stuff, uh, a lot of great stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of movies, got a great guest, and uh, we're hoping you're all having a happy holiday Yeah, right now. whatever you celebrate. Right in your earbuds. Right in your earbuds. Happy holidays in your ear holes. Well, we're going to be, t- we're, you know what we're going to be putting in ear holes today? <laughs> um, I know what Inherent gonna... Vice. Oh, oh, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Movies, movies. We're going to be put top five. We're going to talk about Wild, Big Eyes, and we've got a lot, a lot of good, cool stuff to talk about. New podcast ideas. New we're podcast talk- ideas, yes. We're going to talk about a lot of exciting. Board games? Board games are going to no, talk there, about. No, there's a lot of ancillary, uh, so <laughs> ancillary. <exciting>. So exciting. <laughs> a lot of ancillary discussions that we're planning for this uh, this episode. Um, I want to thank everybody that came out uh, up in Seattle. Had some fun. That was fun up there uh, doing some Doug business. That was good. Thank you. And um, I want to thank the people that came out to Oklahoma City. Yeah, thanks for coming out to Oklahoma City as well. That was a, that was that was cool. Um, especially thanks to our guests Michael C. Hall and uh, Cameron Buckholtz. Mm-hmm. Those guys were funny. And uh, people drove all the way from Arkansas to come see that show. It was awesome. It was great. And we're going to release it probably week of uh, next week, the thirtieth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, New yeah. Year's week. People drove. Yeah, that was amazing. People drove from Oak, uh, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so fun. It was a cool facility to do to show the trailers and everything like that. Yeah, so. it was cool. It's good times. Thank you. Okay, see. <laughs> it sounds like the end of the show. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Hodge out first. <laughs> We're done. Um, what else? Do we have anything other business to attend to, Christopher? You know what? I think we should talk about a very uh, special app called the Ooh. Downcast app. Wow. Uh, and they are sponsoring this uh, this Christmas show. Uh, it's a really, really great app. And if you got a new device or you're planning on getting a new device for the holidays, it's a great thing to add to it because it you can get it not only on your iPhone, but also on your Mac, and they also talk to each other, too. So you can get them on both, and they'll... Um, but we don't have to worry about them becoming too, like... Sentient? Yeah, and not Didn't say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, it, it, I mean, I like po- Downcast. I just don't want yeah. them to attack us. It's a possibility. I'm not saying it can happen. I'm okay. just saying it, it's unlikely. Which does... For now. It does say that it is a good app, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, it does, you know, if it is willing to overtake the human race... Let, let's just say it'll do your thinking for you. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's which what you uh, need yeah, that's that's what that's what human beings need is that we need <laughs> yeah, really all our yes. decisions taken away is yeah, what we need. We're making a lot of dumb uh, ones. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this maybe this, uh, this downcast becoming sentient is not a bad idea. Yeah, it's not you know it's not you know. I, I welcome Skynet. You know I, I, every time. You know what? Let's just try it. <laughs> You know, let's just let's, let's just, just try let's it. Let's dip our toe in the yeah. Skynet let's waters. Let the machines take over for like just you know forty eight hours. Yeah, yeah, and see how it goes. I don't think they're going to abuse it. So go to downcastapp.com and um, lose your free will.
(laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, and why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you? Well, and speaking of Downcast, I think we should introduce our guest who right before recording showed us Downcast. On his phone. On his phone. And his will uh, to have his uh, freedoms taken over by robots. Ladies and gentlemen, um, starting to become a podcast regular, I saw him at Podcast-a-thon, and have been on some Douglas movies with him, and from the hit TV show Mad Men, ladies and gentlemen, Rich Summer. Hey! <laughs> I did it! Um, podcasts hey. are kind of like tattoos. Once you do one, you're like, well, I, I got to do more. I, I can't get, just oh, do yeah, one. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I got to get a sleeve. <laughs> well, Downcast... Uh, Tells me to do every <laughs> podcast offered to me, and that's why I'm here. Um, I, you know, we we've tried uh, letting the machines take over in fiction, and it always seems to go wrong. But we haven't we haven't tried it in real life. No, we haven't. I mean, it's worth a swing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying one time, and po- it might go wrong. Sure, it could, and that might <laughs> might be uh, the thing that ends our race. Or, or it could be great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it also could be the thing that unifies us. Exactly. We're all we're all arguing over all these things, mm-hmm. all in this country and all over the planet. Maybe we all we put down our differences and have to fight a robot war. Um, that could help us. <laughs> and then all these all these technologies and appliances they have to fix themselves now. Yeah. yeah see how they like it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not as easy as you thought no. there, robots. Yeah. Try replacing that screen because I dropped it. Yeah. You dicks. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this now. Uh, you're done shooting Mad Men. Yes. Um, I love pronouncing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I love that you do. <laughs> it's consistent. I won't take it any other way. <laughs> Superman, Mad Men, Spider-Man. Um, robots. Robots, of course. Sure. T- Tuesday. Sure. Um, so uh, you guys are done shooting the last, what is it, eight episodes? Seven. Seven yeah. episodes comes out this spring? Yes, March or April, I would guess. It hasn't been announced yet, but uh, nor has it been told to me. So I don't know. Sometime I would guess March or April. Mm-hmm. But what? have you checked with Downcast? Uh, no, you know what? Uh, oh, there it is, March 25th. Sorry. They know a lot of things, it turns out. Well, they've jacked into the uh, AMC mainframe right. computer, and they know release dates. Uh, what, right. I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but we obviously... Uh, What's working with Alan Havey really like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. Uh, is he a pain in the ass? Let's, let's call it what it is. Um, I... Uh, we were very fortunate. I, I, you know, I know we're going to get to this. Actually, I, speaking of Alan Havey, I saw Top Five, and there's a scene where uh, they go buy some th- some pictures of standups, and Alan Havey's face is on a picture, like dead center of screen oh, for, awesome. for a few seconds. And I got all, and I said out loud, "Alan Havey," and, <laughs> you know, like an asshole at a movie. But I got very excited. He's a great guy. He's a super great guy. I like that guy. Well, what's He's been, been like with to, us since the beginning. Yeah, Alan. we've been it's with been Alan. Great. Uncle Alan. He's good people. He is good people. Um, what's it like? I know you've been asked this a million times, but I, I like working on this show seven seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, what was that? I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite shows ever. And, Thanks. you know, to, to work, you know, any actor obviously would love to have this kind of opportunity. What the what has the whole experience been like for you? Because I'm real quick. I knew I've known John Hamm since before this. And uh-huh. I remember when he was just like bouncing around and thinking, like, I'm going to sell my house and move back to St. Louis or whatever. And then he becomes, you know, Don Draper. So the whole process. I know, I, that was like a wow. 5,000 yeah. word question. Yeah, yeah. In, and answer in 30 seconds. So when the That's earth right. crust cooled, how did oh, you... Oh, good, good, good. Okay. Yeah, it's easier to take it back there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Um, well, 
it's been quite an experience, uh, obviously. And like you said, I've been asked that something like that a million times. So it's sort of a rote answer at this point. But we had no idea, obviously, what it was going to be when it started. I knew it was a really good script. Um, I was very excited to be called in on it. I was over the moon to be called back. It was the only only pilot I got called back for that whole pilot season. Uh, I was about ready to throw in the towel. And that was a very exciting callback to get and then and then to um, get the job. And I was not the first choice for Harry Crane. There was another actor who was cast and happened to be in a play at the time. And sort of through the advice of uh, some people he respected and the casting people um, who said, you know, it's a it's if the show goes, there's no guarantee you'll go with it. And it's, uh, you know, it's on AMC. Like, who knows what's going right. to happen? They're like, you should stay in your play. Don't burn any bridges. And he did. And so then I got the call the day of the read through as as backup and uh, was <clears throat> happy to be called off the bench. Were you living in L.A. or New York? No, I was in New York. We uh-huh. About half of us were living in New York at the time. Um, and the pilot was shot in New York at Silver Cup Studios. Because I think, I think AMC wanted it to be in New York. Um, but Matt Weiner, our boss, uh, sort of put his foot down. He had been going back and forth to New York for Sopranos and knew that he wanted to stay in L.A. So mm-hmm. finally, sort of, they pulled the trigger and brought us out here. Yeah, that's great. And then, like, um, as it became this phenomenon and all that, I mean, how is that as an actor when you're just like, you know, just hope I get the gig, hope the check clears, hope, you know, there's all these just, well, I'm glad I got called back. I'm glad I'm in the pilot. And you can never really bank on, you know, in the back of your yeah. head, you're always like, man, if it's a home run, but you don't, don't think that yeah. way, don't, you know. But, it, it, but that never, that never really stopped um, all the way to the end because it was always, then once the show was doing well, it was like, well, you know, you I hope I'm out. still in it. You know, I hope, because, because we didn't know for the first few seasons, there wasn't really any major warning if someone was going to be written off. Because the, the writers, as secretive as they are with the public and as secretive as they ask us to be with the public, with what we know, they are that secretive with us, with scripts, until the day we get them, which is the day before the read-through, or got them, back right. in, back when <clears throat> Mad Men existed. Um, but uh, so, so we didn't know, oftentimes, if someone was going to be written off, and they would open the script and go, oh, I guess oh. that's that. And some, sometimes there was warning. I, I, don't wanna, of, I heard a lot of shows are like that. You don't know until- I think that's true. And, and, and also, I don't want to make it sound like it was at all malicious. And well, I you think just that have the, to do it that it, way. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was- Especially in this Twitter age of what- right. like you, I think that was the, the only goal. way to protect the scripts. Yeah. And over time, I think that the, the powers that were at Mad Men uh, came to understand that that was- potentially uh, damaging to one's psyche to be terrified every time they opened a script. So they did start kind of giving a little more warning. Uh, oh. If you, you know, if you were going to be opening a script that was your last, you might get a call so, to come up and have a glass of scotch oh. or your, or your script, the cover <laughs> so of your that's script. That's sort of like yeah. the, like in the hard knocks right. NFL, yeah. like grab your playbook. It's yeah, like, right. How much scotch? Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Your script, oh, good co- stuff. Your script cover was like a different color. <laughs> you know, when you're being written off, <laughs> that's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's on a recycled paper. Yeah. Like it's yeah. X'd out <laughs> shit on the back. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not the full script. It's yeah. just two pages. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so that never fully went away. Like you never, I don't think anyone got complacent about the mm-hmm. fact that the show was good. And, and I think that we also, um, look, I, I'll, I'm, I will be honest in saying I sort of was waiting for the other shoe to drop on the end of the writers because, you know, from, I remember Aaron Staten who played Ken Cosgrove on the show when we got the second episode of the show. 
which was a year after we shot the pilot, we got together and, and we had this conversation where it was like, well, I don't know how they did it because we loved the pilot so much. So I don't know how they did it, but they did it again with this episode. But at some point, the shoe, or the other shoe is going to drop quality wise. And it, for me, it never did. Right. I mean, some people might disagree with me, but I, I, I feel like it never, ever dropped all the way through the final episode. Yeah, mm. That was the thing I, I, that was amazing about it is, is it never had this huge fall off, which happens and is totally understandable absolutely like it's such a grind to churn out that much material to keep it fresh and new to like well it's you go with uh again it's all the uh, creative people showrunners and writers and actors want shorter seasons higher quality episodes the mm-hmm. bbc cable model and it works out better look yeah. at breaking bad all absolutely these shows. Mm-hmm. it's you know you just you don't need that many shows in fact when we had mark guggenheim in here about talking about arrow he said, there's just, you know, it's like 26 a season. It's too many shows. Yeah. You can't build that story that you want to build when you have to fill all like these you're episodes. It's almost doing, tw- I mean, you're doing 26 <clears throat> hours. It's almost yeah. like 26 films, like right. feature yeah. films that you're, that you're banging out in, what, eight days or yeah. whatever? Yeah. That's so, a lot. Man. So it's like, you know, then they become one-offs. Then you can't, you know, serve the story. Tra- it, it, you it's, fall it's into the less. formulaic trap. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's exactly it's like, right. Well, I'll have yeah, him yeah. come well, into this And the only thing show and, that <clears throat> seems to be sort of avoiding that, that's doing that many episodes, is The Good Wife. I mean, they, they seem to consistently be mm-hmm. keeping that quality up, um, but, but other shows suffer from it almost Instantly, sure. and mm-hmm. some shows have trouble sustaining thirteen episodes. Right, but I don't think you could have a, a show like Mad Men or The Sopranos or The Wire or right. Breaking Bad or House of Cards or Orange Is the New Black or any of those shows without having that sort of high density of storytelling. You know, com- just compacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as you start to kind of stretch it out, it it. Uh, I think they have to be challenged by. They have to be limited so that they they well, make Mad choices Man, just that make the sense. pilot episode alone. When you when you look at how much story was in that first yeah. episode, like it would have been easy to go. Oh well, we're just kind of introducing the characters. We don't really need to put a lot of story. But it, no, no, it was a dense episode mm-hmm. where you not only got to know the characters, you had. Like an A, B, and I think even a C mm-hmm. plot line in, in the first episode. Right. And you're like, okay, we know what we're in for now. And this is like you knew just watching the first episode. Well, it's two, uh, all the shows that, you know, you just mentioned, Rich, they all would have these long layoffs. Yeah. Which as a fan, you're like, oh, come on. But it did serve the projects. Always they, paid off. Always paid off. Eh, except always for The off. Sopranos. That was way too long. In between, <laughs> it was too in long, between seasons. But you, you don't think it's paid off story-wise? I mean... Uh, no, I didn't. I think it... Um, uh, well, no. I think what didn't pay off story-wise is the show itself went on for too many seasons. But I see. I think uh, it lost its fan momentum when it went too long. Between, that's uh, the danger. I mean, that's the balance, obviously. Yeah. is, And I think we teetered on that between... I guess seasons four and five, we had a year and a half off in between because of you know things happening with the network or negotiations and things like that. And that I was a little nervous about that. And, and during that time, I sort of was like, "Well, the show is probably not coming back." Um, I right. was I felt like there was a real chance it wasn't going to mm-hmm. come back. Um, and and also Matt and the writers uh, openly have said, and I think except for season six, this was true. Um, because we knew we had a season seven. Season six was the only season that when we wrapped on the season, we knew we had a ne- the next season. Oh, wow. oh, interesting. Every other season okay. was picked up after the finale. Oh, wow. So Matt wrote, Matt and the writers wrote each season finale as a potential series finale. Wow. Um, which is really cool. Like going back and looking at them. That's why they they're feel, all so amazing. Yeah, they, they all sort of feel like a the potential end. ending. Right. There, there's you, not a lot of cliffhangers. Most no. of it is answered. 
which I cliffhangers are, I really don't like. No, me neither. You know, and well, now they do it twice to you twice now. Now there's oh well, there's a mid season mm. right you know, cliffhanger right. now. Now they're breaking up the season. No, but that that was because every you're right. Every season of Mad Men ended like wow. That explains that. Yeah, <laughs> you right. Know? Like right. holy sh- well, we know where that went. Yeah. Um, which is the thing that I that always would drive me crazy about like Lost or whatever was just all these fucking like. Oh, those were hard. I loved Lost, but that, those were hard finales because you're just like, uh, I have to what? I have you- to wait three months <laughs> yeah, for come on. not Benny's boat. Oh, well, who's fucking boat? Like, <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the frustrating thing about that. And then they would, it, it, Lost fell into all of the problems we just said yeah. that can happen in, sure. that, in that environment. Is like it was so inventive and creative, and then they were literally like, well, we gotta. I think Lost mastered the art of the setup. Like there were mm. so many cool things set up, and um, and I think that was one of the traps it fell into because mm-hmm. you have so many cool things that well, how are you going to pay them all off? And the answer is you couldn't. There's, yeah. there's no way you couldn't. But there were I remember those episodes too where you're like, oh my god, how is this going to get even crazier? And then the season finale wouldn't have one cliffhanger in it. It would be like three or four different threads. Right. We were like, oh my, I want to see what happens to all of these things, and right. I have to wait. But uh, let's uh, let's get into some movies because Rich, you have seen a fair amount of them. I've you seen, did uh, your homework. Yeah, you really man. tried. Let's uh, now. Inherent Vice is one that we definitely wanted to talk okay. about. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what what did you think of Inherent Vice? Well, have you guys seen it? No, no, not, neither of you seen it. Not. Okay, well, that's <clears throat> okay. Uh, so I, now I've listened to the show. I, I uh, listened to the show. I just want to make sure that I'm not going to um, no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. So I. Uh, overall, I didn't love it. Um, now Let me I, ask you this real quick. Yeah. Are you a P.T. Anderson fan? I am a huge P.T.A. fan. Okay. Okay. Now, here's the problem, though. I, I am a big, big P.T.A. fan for the first four movies, which is Hard Eight or Sydney, Hard Eight, Sydney, uh, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, which p- possibly is my favorite film of all time, and Punch Drunk Love. Then there was There Will Be Blood. Now, he's made seven movies, right? Inherent Vice is his seventh movie. There Will Be Blood, I saw in the theater, and I was sort of like, okay, a little bit. I mean, Features, obviously, arguably, who, who I think is maybe the best actor in the world, Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. completely untethered, like with no leash at all, which is a little dangerous for anyone, I think. Uh, it can get a little out of hand, I think. Um, what do you mean? Clarify that. What do you mean? It's well, look, I'm not an acting expert, except that I, I do believe that it seemed to me watching There Will Be Blood – it was Paul Thomas Anderson kind of going, you do your thing, and we're just going to let that's the camera interesting. roll. Now, that's interesting. I got the opposite. Uh, really? Yeah, I got the opposite impression of that because I think Paul Thomas Anderson is very um, precise and very um, – he, he's very specific on what he wants from his actors. And I think he's an excellent director of scenes. I've said this before, mm-hmm. but I don't like his movies. When you put everything together, it, I don't think they ever come together as films. But like Daniel Day-Lewis, I really think – I don't think he was doing exactly what he wanted to do. I think he was doing exactly what P.T. Anderson wanted him to do. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it felt to me like – well, whatever. It, it, it felt to me like a little bit – uh, I, I agree with you on the precision of the first four movies of those guys falling into exa- doing exactly what he wanted, mm-hmm. you know, this very calculated thing. And then I felt like there will be blood started to get a little uh, Off the messy. Rails. Yeah. A little messy for me. For me. Okay. Then the master, which I have to say I did, I've not seen the whole thing because mm-hmm. I stopped watching <clears throat> when there's that scene about 30 minutes in 25 minutes in where Joaquin Phoenix 
I don't even remember. I just remember being like, nope. Uh, he gets he, he like fights a guy in a department store. He mm-hmm. like attacks a guy, and it's all in one take. And it is very clearly an actor hitting another actor over and over and over again. And I'm not like like I'm all for a little like verite in my movies. I'm all for a little naturalism. I love a, a very real emotional scene. Did they use mannequins? <laughs> they did not use mannequins. They you just used, felt like you're watching like stage combat. It was a little, well, no, I felt like I was watching real combat. I felt, thought, felt like I was watching a day player actor get the shit kicked out of him by Joaquin Phoenix. And that probably somebody said to him, listen, he's really going to hit you. And this actor was like, oh, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm in. Because what the hell else are you going to say? If you've got a day on the ball, Thomas Anderson, what are you gonna, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Punch me in the face. Yeah, hit, hit me. And he fucking punches him like six times. And I just couldn't watch it. It felt to me so jerk offy. It was like, you, you just let, I mean, what, what are we doing? Like, right. we all know we're pretending. Uh, it's not Joaquin Phoenix saying, I'm Joaquin Phoenix and I'm getting in a fight. It's him pretending to be someone else. So I don't need to see you actually kick the shit out of someone. Like, we've all agreed we're in, in a story time. Tell me a story. It, it felt a little bit much for me. Mm-hmm. And again, I love, I love, I love real scenes with real physical interaction and whatever. But I just don't need to see some actor get the shit kicked out of him in what struck me as a bit of a like power play. Anyway, I think all- you know what we need to do. We need to do a spoiler up of um, rich summer actor turnoffs. <laughs> I think uh, I think just something like little little, little little triggers this little triggers to set Rich off where nope like, department store nope well, you know if it's like, Mad ooh, Men nope, had have been canceled yeah. or that other guy said yes I could be getting punched in the fucking mouth by goddamn wingnut Joaquin Phoenix look I'd do it in a heartbeat of course, of course. I can't watch it um, so that brings us to Inherent Vice where yes. I think I think now my, my theory is and again maybe I'm wrong that uh-huh. beginning with Daniel Day-Lewis, PTA started to sort of hand over a little more control to oh, these I leads. See. Uh-huh. And it started there. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Joaquin Phoenix and the master. And again, I haven't seen enough to fully judge the right, whole movie. Right. Uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, again, arguably my favorite actor of all time. Right. Like I, I will see that movie at some point. I just couldn't stomach it that day. Um, <clears throat> well, you had just gotten in a fight with another I actor. I had just right? gotten the shit kicked out of me. John Hamm had just punched me 50 <laughs> times. Um, so so uh, then going into this movie, I feel like, again, maybe, and I could Call be wrong. Dick Whitman again. Joaquin, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> one, one more time. Um, I, and I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix uh, is listening. And so yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. He's a huge fan. They both could, could tell me that I'm full of shit and, and should. But it seems to me that maybe a little more, uh, like, like there's not even a leash in the room anymore Got that it. that uh-huh. that it's just like we're maybe it's under the auspice of collaboration whatever and i'm sure it was a fucking fun movie to make inherent vice i'm sure joaquin phoenix had a ball what's the overall premise of this film it's based on oh, a novel that's a fun that's a fun thing to try and nail down he's essentially <laughs> i think I, I, I mean i'll also say so aside from all that gobbledygook because i couldn't get it from the trailer it is impossible to follow yeah it is impossible to follow this movie really i felt completely lost. And I, and I had a friend who saw it last night um, who I was like, call me as soon as you get out because I want to talk about this. And he called me as soon as he got out and I was like, great, what happened in this movie? He's like, I have no fucking idea. So I know I'm not <laughs> the only person who sort of, uh, things happen, it's a mystery, right? It's, a, it's sort of a detective mystery. Someone disappears and I literally all of a sudden I was like, wait, when did that, ha- when did that person disappear? Like, 
it was so sort of aggressively confusing that I could not, <laughs> I could not keep up with it. So I, in addition to this, by the way, I was already frustrated with the story. And the fucking guy, two seats over me, I'm at the Arclight in Hollywood. This guy, I had one seat open in between us, and the theater's pretty full, so I couldn't move. He took off his shoes, and it was like, uh, I was a summer camp counselor for a couple summers, and you know, like 14-year-olds, their feet, it's not a good thing. And it was like this guy, it was that smell I had not smelled since summer camp, that real, Uh, like, medical uh, issue foot smell. (laughs) Um, And this guy, every time he would cross his right leg over his left, there'd just be this whoosh. And it was so distracting to me, and I, like was getting more and more sort of physical with covering my nose. Uh, and finally, he put his shoes on. I think he got it. But between that guy and Paul Thomas Anderson basically uh, flipping me the bird and saying, I don't give a shit if you can follow this movie, it was very difficult for me to keep up with. Maybe that was him also taking off his shoes. That may have been him to be like, I'm really going to drive this fucker to the ground. I'm really going to ruin this guy's It's interesting you say that because I think that was one of the things I like so much about Punch Drunk Love mm-hmm was he tethered Adam Sandler so much. I, I mean, agree. The story coming out of that set was they kept having to reshoot because Sandler kept trying to do Sandlerisms and he kept going, no, 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 no. Play this real, not big over the top Adam Sandler. And that's what made that movie so great. I totally agree. And and no one so could it accuse- it wasn't like Jack and Jill? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. No one could accuse Joaquin Phoenix of really being false. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he hits his single- really false note in the whole thing. It's just, I don't, I don't, it's too much. It's right. too, mm-hmm. and the other, this is one last thing. Uh, I'll, I, I could talk about it forever, but um, I remember when Zach Braff wrote uh, what we can all agree is a masterpiece, Garden State. Um, right, guys? <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> I remember him doing an interview and he said uh, something about that part of the way that he wrote the movie was he kept a file of index cards of ideas of moments that could be in a movie, right? Uh, guy uh, at the gas station forgets he has the nozzle in his car and drives away and the nozzle stays in his car and he finds it later. A uh, girl rides in the sidecar of a motorcycle. You know, these these like mm-hmm. little snippets. And then when he wrote the movie, he was just like, oh, cool, pulled out his file and was like, and put them all in there. Right. So it's just like, that, that's sort of how I felt about this movie. There are moments, especially with the Josh Brolin interaction, and, and there's a lot I think of big actors in this film too. Absolutely, yeah. amazing cast, mm-hmm. and Josh Brolin is fantastic. Reese Witherspoon is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Everybody's really good. It's just it feels like this sort of collection of shit put together around this, um, I guess, storyline. But again, I could not pin down what it was. Now, do you think this is the kind of thing where it's like, like? Um, if it was edited down to a more linear uh, way, maybe it could be a coherent story. Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's real fucking long, too. Because, yeah, <laughs> it's like all two of, hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, but, yeah. But again, like Magnolia, I left Magnolia going, uh, not feeling like, you know, almost three hours had gone oh, by. Yeah. I, I say, love Magnolia. Yeah, that was, I always say that um, was a, Magnolia's a great movie, cunningly hidden inside three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, 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 I thought that would have been a great 90 minute movie. Magnolia. I love Magnolia. I thought There Will Be Blood was great. Uh, or There Will Be Blood. Is that See, me? Is that no, me? see I'm, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm yeah, not as, like I said, I'm not as a huge fan as you guys but, are, the director. And, you know, the master was like, I, well, you I, actually watched the entire film. I did watch right. the entire film of The Master. And it was one of those movies where I went, all right, I like what he's trying to do. And I sort of cut him slack in the sense that this is such a, I mean, obviously he's doing the Scientology thing. Right. 
and uh, Joaquin Phoenix was perfectly cast as this weirdo, impressionable creep who fucks sand. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, I sort of, even though I wasn't like, oh, The Master's a perfect film, I was the same thing, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's great, mm-hmm. it had its flaws, but I sort of wondered if the flaws were more in the, the subject matter he was trying to tackle. Mm. And my question then for this is, is that the book? I don't know the book. Is the right, book neither, this convoluted? Is the book this? And is that? This is his first non-original story, right? Aren't all the rest? I believe his so. own. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could say Magnolia. He they, he says it was inspired by Amy Mann's music, but but other than that, I don't I don't I think this is the only one that he's done an adaptation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it was. Uh, if it is uh, from the source material, then I. Don't want to read that book. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, I give the guys who cut the trailer credit. Yeah. Because the trailer goes. Really? I, go, I want to see this. It's really uh, okay. Now the thing about the trailer, I will say, it made me want to see it, but it told me nothing about what I was getting into story wise. Right. No, it doesn't. And but it does tell you the one thing that that is fully redeeming about the movie, which is it is a comedy and it is really funny. And there are like very funny laugh out loud moments, especially with with Josh Brolin and, and Joaquin Phoenix's interaction. But again, it's it's sort of like it feels a little like he's sort of God. I would I I shudder to ever call something that PTA has done derivative. But it feels a little Coen Brothers esque, trying to be Coen Brothers esque. And the Coen Brothers, like uh, you know, this movie, I think, I think. I wanted it to be Big Lebowski, right? And there are things about it that feel like Big Lebowski, except for the part that there's no story that you can follow. There is a story. I, I can't keep shitting on the story. There is a story. I just don't know what it is. And that's, and that's probably on me. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's talk about uh, a film I saw last night. Wild. Wild. Um, which now I really want to hear the comparison to this movie to the movie Tracks that we saw in Australia. Well, it's funny because I had also just seen on the plane last week Into the Wild. Uh-huh. So all three of these stories are all very similar in the sense that uh, it's a person who just went on a trek and wrote a book about it, and then they brought the the book to life. Now, did think, you watch E Pray Love after that? <laughs> that's a rich lady that goes to resorts. Okay, that's a little different. Um, um, so, uh, so this movie Wild is is uh, based on the Cheryl Strayed memoir um, called uh, Wild from Lost uh, to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. So, uh, Reese Witherspoon plays this woman. She's a. It takes place in the nineties. Is like a recovering heroin addict, and just decides to walk the Pacific Crest Trail, which goes basically from Mexico to Canada. Um, and this is how she's going to kind of face uh, her demons. And they do a lot of similar to Into the Wild of because Into the Wild starts with him like in Alaska, and then he keeps flashing back mm-hmm. to the whole journey. Right. Um, and this does a similar thing of all the people she meets along the way and the influences that they have. And um, Trek, you know, Trek is a, has some tracks. of that. Tracks, yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Tracks has is some of that, but Trax is, is different in the sense that, well, first of all, it's the fucking outback where there is no one. Yeah. So, no one but camels. No one but camels. So Trax is really 
just her. Right. And having to navigate this. And occasionally the National Geographic photographer. That's it. That's her only interaction (laughs) is the National Geographic photographer. So they have very similar elements. The, the, The thing I liked about Wild, it's, 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 it's Reese Witherspoon, um, not being all Reese Witherspoony and all, you know, America's little angel kind of Hollywood's favorite sort of thing. Mm. And she's, um, and the struggles that she's going through on the trail and the flashbacks and how, and they sort of do, they do some, some interesting and inventive stuff with the flashbacks, um, where they just give you tastes in the beginning and then they start to kind of explain they show them in longer form. Sometimes it's almost too much where you're just like, well, that was, wait, wait." Mm -hmm. like spend a little more time back in the old days or whatever. Um, But they do a nice job. The filmmaker does a nice job um, of, of, of making you, making you audience figure it out, which, which I like. Um, The director is uh, Jean-Marc Vallée. And these aren't easy movies to shoot because you literally, you have, it's like basically castaway. I mean, you have one actor on the screen for what, 70, 80% of the film. And you're shooting this on location. I mean, they're following her footprints basically. Yeah. They're not, there's not a green screen. No. And this is the director uh, who did uh, Dallas Buyers Club, which is, which is uh, another true story. Um, Wouldn't it be I, funny if that was the same director they did Tracks and and <laughs> uh, Castaway and Into the White? It was just that's the all, only all type the of movie that he. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, I only want one actor on my yeah. set at a time. They got to be in their twenties and they got to have lost their shit yeah. somehow, and they got to go on the wild and figure it out. Um, so you know, the thing that I liked about Dallas Buyers Club was you know the authenticity of it, the depicting this cowboy who is uh, homophobic and all that, and what and he having to wrestle with that. Yes. Um, Wild is good, but, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not being fair to this movie because I had literally two days prior just watched Into the Wild, which I think is an amazing film. I love that movie um, on so many Possibly levels. Possibly a little more depressing. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, so, there's just times where, and again, he's going off of her book, which, you know, so it's the book and then somebody adapts it as well. Mm-hmm. But but there's times where the interactions with people felt two-dimensional. Like part of it is she gets hassled by a lot of men, which I don't doubt. She's a cute blonde girl hiking out in the middle of nowhere. And there's some guys that say some creepy stuff or whatever, but just the way that was depicted felt two dimensional where into the wild, I felt like Sean Penn took, cause that, that's the, that book was based on this author found this kid's journal. Yeah. John Krakow. John. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I, I just felt like the, the people that he interacted with in Into the Wild, I felt like, well, this is a real person. This isn't the stereotypical. It felt more organic. It did feel more organic. Yeah, like this gotcha. isn't the stereotypical hippie couple. Like this is a full, these are real three-dimensional people and what they're going through and Hal Holbrook and Vince Vaughn. And, and you, these- you believed his interaction with them. Yes. Because here's a guy that's, he's literally dropping out of mm-hmm. everything and he meets all these quirky characters. Like it could have easily fallen into that trap of like, Here's the quirky character. Here's the normal person. No, these are all real people with their own issues and problems. And here's how they would interact with each other. It just at times the people she interacts with just felt too 
two-dimensional. Stock just, just this, like, oh, here's the hillbilly hunters are going to say right, creepy right. things to her. And like, you know, and maybe, I haven't read the book. Maybe that's how she wrote it in the book. But I just I just felt like- Could have gotten a little more nuance. I just, it it yeah. just didn't have gotcha. enough nuance for me. It's still mm-hmm. a good movie. Um, she might, here's the difference. Here's the difference right in this. Into the wild. I thought you were going to get up. For a second. I'm, I'm, uh, here's the goddamn difference. Yeah. I'm out. Like you're in a courtroom. Yeah. Your Honor, please. No. Um, all the supporting characters, and even in, in Trek, the National Geographic guy was nuanced. The the, the camel person, couple or guy that she meets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially in Into the Wild, all the supporting people in Into the Wild are like, holy shit, are they amazing? You know, Kathleen Keener, Hal. That scene with Hal Holbrook is just unbelievable even vince vaughn vince like, vaughn you know, wasn't even in it that long but mm-hmm. still it was like oh that was an actual character that we got to see there's no supporting actor in wild that you go wow mm-hmm. you go okay it's okay that's not like it's not a horrible movie it's not right. like oh man they missed the mark it's not like tracks where you have the photographer right um and, and you have like he shows up periodically and you see the interaction between them mm-hmm. and you're like okay Reese Witherspoon now does a great job. Mm-hmm. Right. Her transformation is amazing. So the movie pretty much hangs on her it 100%. Does, it hangs on her 100%. Right. Um, it's worth seeing. She sh- maybe should get an... I think she will probably get a nomination for this mm-hmm. just because of her Oscar pedigree or whatever. It's, it's worth seeing, but it's not... Again, this is Oscar season where every movie is really, really good. Right, yeah. So you're comparing it against a lot of amazing stuff. It's a good film. Um... It, it's just a couple of moments where I went, mm. but then there's some right. great moments. Oh, cool. I don't know. So it's me. All right. Maybe well, I'm nitpicking. Well, this one actually comes out this week, but I wanted to talk about it now. Um, this is Big Eyes. Uh, I got to see a, um, a preview screening of it, and it, it's, I'll tell you, let me just start off by saying again, huge Tim Burton fan. Mm-hmm. Not always easy at times to be a huge Tim Burton fan. And this is his first, <laughs> like, non crazy prosthetic or whatever yeah, just like yeah, yes and no just directing it, it, people it's interesting as i was watching this film i, I got uh, a little um uh I, I found some parallels to some of his other work if you stripped away the effects and that's what i really liked about it okay like this is the kind of film that basically it's tim burton's making a grown-up movie and that is not an insult at all it's just a kind of a description and i put a written review on the site too um it's like when sam raimi made a simple plan you realize, like, oh, yeah, he's actually a great director of actors and put a story together without monsters or, you know, mm-hmm. Spider-Man or mm-hmm. anything. He, he's a solid director. So to, to see that Tim Burton took on, like, a basically a period piece in San Francisco, you know, 50s and 60s, he took on um, a true story. And um, it was good to see. I think it was something he needed to do because everything got stripped down mm-hmm. and stripped away. And it's a, I really enjoyed this film. It had a couple weird moments to it but for the most part i really liked it and i was watching and i was thinking do you remember the movie big fish Mm -hmm. yeah but if you strip away all of the um cool camera work all the cg all that stuff you have a pretty solid love story coming of age drama is what you really have and that's what you have here you basically have a really great um human drama about art fraud essentially is where uh, Margaret Keene drew these pictures of kids with big eyes and the husband um, took credit for it. And they got, they became very, very wealthy off of this, uh, off of these pictures and off of also off of essentially, which was a, uh, an art, an art scam. So I'm watching this movie and Christoph Waltz 
it's always weird when you cast Christoph Waltz in something because you're not sure like like how thick is the accent gonna be? Is he gonna be over the top? Is it like like in this Full one? Full Nazi, yeah. half Nazi. I, I have to say the the um, accent was toned down. It's about a two or a three uh, out of the um, Christoph Waltz accent. Scale and uh, so uh, accent intensity scale. Glorious yeah. bastards being a ten. Yeah, that and was a ten. Rating exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have there was a three. So I'm sure you can find the scale online. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Actually, I, I broke it down in the written review. <laughs> I, I broke it. So it's it's on the written review on the site. So like the um, Christoph Waltz accent intensity scale. Oh okay. It's the CWAS. So <laughs> oh, sure. of course, give it an acronym. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So send uh, us your CWAS yeah. numbers, guys, on Twitter. <laughs> So I, I'm watching this movie, and I was really happy to see that, like, there wasn't, like, like there was no, you know, you could tell there was no pressure for Tim Burton to be all Tim Burton-y. It's like when he takes these horrible assignments, like Dark Shadows, okay, gotta have gothic buildings, everyone has to be dressed in black, Johnny Depp has to do something weird or quirky, and it was like, it's Ugh. so, like, it wasn't a phoned-in movie like he's been doing with those remakes. I, I hope to God he never makes another, does another remake right. again, so I can love Tim, all Tim Burton movies. So... Like uh, like Big Fish, it was a really solid drama, and um, the acting was really cool. What I really liked about it too is the characters. Like we're talking about with like even the supporting characters, they're nuanced. Like you know, you could see Margaret Keene. It was she was a woman of the times of fifties and sixties. Like there was great scenes where like, oh, does your husband approve of you working? And well, you know, I, we're separated. This is before she met Christoph Waltz, and it, just the attitude towards women at that time. Well, you know, women can't paint or do anything. You should be in the home or a secretary. That's it. That's all you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I also like too is Christoph walks. He, he's a he plays the, the husband, um, but he's plays a con artist basically. But at the beginning, you could really tell that he really cared for her. Like there was definitely a connection and love because it wasn't like he found out her art could sell and then he married her. It was like really there was a courtship and a romance, and there was and then it was almost by accident they found out that they could sell, and that's when all of the con and the money and then everything mm-hmm. kind of changed. Um, but what I what I think it fell a little short on is the daughter was a real um, uh, a real part of the story. And in the film, I feel like she kind of got brushed aside a little mm-hmm. bit. Like the interaction between a daughter and a mother, especially in that time, 50s and 60s. Who, um, who played the daughter? Who played the, um, uh, it was actually somebody I haven't seen before. How old was she? Uh, she was pretty – well, there was a couple different age oh, okay. uh, age groups. So it was, I think, two or, or three actresses played her. Um so what uh, what it was is um, because you get the impression too at the beginning of the film it's like well it's just them it's the mother and daughter they're alone it's you know they got to stick together and you know one of the most heartbreaking parts of the movie as it progresses and this is not a spoiler because this is in the beginning is like when she starts lying about who painted the artwork it's like well you're lying to your daughter too and this mm. you two are supposed to be you know, a team and together. And, oh. and I really think that it, it's, it's definitely there and it's touched on, but I feel like it could have been a bigger part of the story because the mother daughter relationship was so important. Um, then there were a couple really crazy things that I don't, Tim Burton put in just to be kind of goofy that did not need to be in there. Like Terrence Stamp is an art critic who hates the art, which is great, but there's a scene it's in the trailer where, um, Jason Schwartzman, uh, uh, 
No, no, no. Terrence Stamp. Jason Schwartzman is in a uh, is a gallery owner who's a mm. prick, but he's great. He's a great, charming prick. Uh, he plays a great, charming prick in a lot of movies, and he pulls it off yet again in this one. Uh, um, <laughs> on but, the uh, uh, charming prickometer. Yeah, yeah uh, the charming prickometer. <laughs> he's a, I, I've never seen him under a ten. The JSCOM. Yeah. CPOM. There it is. Yes. Just, uh, Isn't it like the horrible. chronic breath, yeah. breathing disorder? Yeah, no. it's the C oh. C pad. The, the, the same scale. It's the same scale. <laughs> same scale. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there, there's a scene where uh, turns stamp like um, you know a fork comes towards his eye and he grabs the arm like with uh, and the fork stops right in front of his eyeball like like he's like a ninja like uh, oh. like it's a weird scene and then just puts the fork down walks away and then that's like the end of the scene I'm like well wait you don't I don't need that that's just he doesn't have to be a ninja he's an art critic you know <laughs> you know he's terran stamp is an art a critic that's all we need critics, that's though, all we Chris, need are trained in the and then there's a the court stealth arts and then there's a courtroom scene that's um reminiscent of a three stooges episode oh. where it's like there's really weird like these odd tonal things that just kind of come out of nowhere but they're so small and they're so few and far between uh because the rest of the movie is solid you're like well why did that one of that need to be oh, in right. there. You, you didn't. You know, you could have cut that out and not lost anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think Kristen Ritter does a uh, right. a, a really nice job in it, but she's also a little underutilized. But ultimately, the movie is Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. So it's worth they, seeing uh, for those two. It is definitely worth seeing. It's it's also definitely worth seeing um, when you strip all the artifice away of Tim Burton's directing. Yeah, what is really that was left what I was most a, excited a, to see uh, is a really solid director who's always been a very solid director. In fact. When he even started directing, he said that uh, um, I'm really more interested in evoking an emotion than hitting plot points. Mm. Like when you see some of his mm-hmm. movies like Edward Scissorhands and stuff, they don't necessarily hit the plot points, but the emotion they evoke is absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful and breathtaking. But uh, in this movie, I'm happy to say he did both. You know, there was definitely a very linear story. I mean, he had real life events to, sure, uh, sure. to kind of time post everything. But also, he has, it, it was a real human drama, and it was also a period piece and a love letter to San Francisco of the 1950s and 60s. So I really liked it. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's a if you're a Tim Burton fan. Some nominations come fan, out of it, probably? Maybe. I, I think Amy it Adams? might be. Amy Adams, maybe, would probably be the one I would pick if she is right. going to get one. But it, it's definitely worth seeing, and it's, um, I'm glad Tim Burton made it. All right. Now let's go to the other movie that Rich saw, Top Five. Yes. And Chris Rock. Film. Yes. I'm excited to see this, but now I've been hearing mixed things, and I'm I'm, I'm I don't know. Overall, well, I saw I saw Inherent Vice first, and then the same day went and saw Top Five because I have children, so you must make these things uh, work together. <laughs> I understand. Uh, so um, I I can say that compared to Inherent Vice, I enjoyed it much more. Um, uh, by the way, I just want to touch on Inherent Vice based on what you were saying about evoking an emotion. Inherent Vice, may maybe that's part of it too, is that it is just trying to evoke a feeling, which some of the reviews I read afterwards sort of angrily sitting in the Arclight bar waiting for Top 5 to start uh, reading all the reviews of, of uh, Inherent Vice. They were saying like that there are really two ways to see this movie, that you can intellectually see it and try and sort of crack it or you can just sit back and just let it sort of like a like a, a pot dream wash over you. And maybe I was trying too hard to intellectualize it, but there is there is certainly a feeling it evokes. Any hoots? Uh, top five um, basic story is uh, Chris Rock plays a Chris Rock like mm-hmm. uh, a comedian turned actor 
based on some of his uh, life experiences. I'm guessing, possibly. I don't. I mean, I don't know enough of his history to know how much of it is is based on that. But I, I can say that he uh, he plays a, a, a comedian who has decided to sort of go uh, straight acting wise. He wants mm-hmm. to kind of he's he's uh, starting down this path of being a real actor, quote unquote. And so he sort of eschews the comedy stuff. Right. Um, he he's known uh, best for playing Hammy the Bear in Hammy the Bear <laughs> One, Two, and Three, uh, and so he so kind of sheds. And it's great. Like, this movie is genuinely funny, and sure. and the the cameos are outstanding. I mean, there's mm. you know people that I did not expect to see, and I don't even want to spoil some of them that come later that I was genuinely shocked to see, and I was really uh, stoked on it. Um, but it's really good. The, the supporting cast is great. I think Rosario Dawson is really good. Um, I think that the, the his friends and family are are played by um, Tracy Morgan and Jay Farrow. And um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. It makes me a bad person. The new newest. She's one of the newest members of SNL uh, cast. Um, uh, yep. Anyway, she's in it. She's really <laughs> really goddamn funny. Um, it's 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 Haley Marie Norman. Good. Nope. No. Nope. It's it's good. Chris Rock is there's like it's sort of one. It's sort of like those movies where uh, it's like Mr. Holland's Opus in this way. I don't know why this this is going to be a weird tangent, but let's see if it works. (laughs) Mr. Holland's Opus is all about this guy who's writing like his crowning achievement, right? Right, right. It's going to be the the piece that changes everything. Uh, And when you finally hear the piece, you're like. Yeah. as an audience. Right. Now we're still being told that was amazing. That was amazing that by, by the people on screen, but we also have to judge the thing. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, those notes go together, but it wasn't like a, didn't change my life. Chris Rock. I, this is sort of, it's a tough tangent, but I'm going to try and bring it around. Chris Rock is, is playing a comedian who's trying to go straight as an actor. Um, and maybe Chris Rock himself is a comedian trying to go straight as an actor, and I uh, his, the acting part of it is a not a good. Not, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, he he's good, like he's good, and overall he, he's good. But like he does this thing where he like closes his eyes when he's talking a lot, and and you can, you just sort of lose some of the uh, connection. Eye contact, with, yeah, like yeah, eye contact. You know, like a basic communication skill. That goes away, um, which is uh, difficult to watch. Um, but no, he, he he wrote it and directed it as well, I uh-huh. believe. It feels a little written. It feels a little bit – I went with a friend and I'm, I'm really – blissfully bad at sort of nailing theme in movie I, in movies I, I sort of uh, so so when things happen at the end that are playing into all the foreshadowing and all the theme that's mm-hmm. been set up I'm usually like pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. whereas my buddy that I was with leaned over and was like this is this this and this and I was like <laughs> oh fuck and then it all was like but I was like right of course it was all there you know so it's a little bit rosebud uh, is a sled that's right exactly <laughs> exactly uh i get it i think the sled is uh, it's rosebud uh, but, but yeah yeah so I, I overall i enjoyed it um i did laugh a lot cedric the entertainer is fucking amazing and and his he only has a few scenes but the the this that little moment in the trailer for some reason, with it the, just make with the hangers. With the hangers. Oh my god! For some reason, I think it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it really kills me. I've seen the trailer six times, and also seen the movie, and I still was laughing out loud at the movie <laughs> uh, at that moment. So it was really uh, so uh, worth seeing. Worth seeing. However, wait till it comes out on DVD. Yeah, 
yeah, okay. you don't. I don't think you need to. See you'll watch it on a plane or something. Absolutely, and absolutely, and you'll and you'll love it. But it's it's not worth racing out to see. I'm going to save this for a plane trip. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Um, all right, well, let's talk about um, uh, Rich, your love of board games. Ugh, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure everyone is dying to. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me preface this. Uh-huh. We ran into each other at Podcastathon, which, by the way, I. I if we haven't mentioned it before, I need to mention it again. That is an amazing thing. It's pretty. They phenomenal. raised another hundred and forty grand or oh, something like great. that. They they're in the six or seven hundred thousand dollars over the however long they've done this wow. six years. This is the seventh year. Seventh year. Still for Smile Train. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Like that. <laughs> that a bunch of comedians getting together doing an old school Mike Douglas style talk show in a theater in Hollywood. That's now that that's to me. It's everything that I love about podcasting, comedy, like. The, I've known Pardo for 20 years. Like that's, I'm proud that guy's my friend. Oh, that, yeah. that those guys would do that, and it was so much yeah. fun. Like every, I, you know, I've done it a couple times. It's it's a blast. I've, I, I'm one of the people who have done that podcast fun every year that mm-hmm. it's happened, and that green room is always so fun because right. like you don't know who's on there before you you don't know you don't get a heads up on who's going to be right. there when you get there right and this year i ended up kind of doing a, a dumb running gag without jimmy knowing i was going to be doing it so, <laughs> so apologies again jimmy but um so i was there a lot of the day and the people that you encounter back there it's just like it's just a fun chilled out you know uh place to hang out like walking in and there's Sarah Silverman and Zach Galifianakis are hanging out. Like it's it's right. people come together for this thing mm-hmm. because Jimmy has really made it clear that it is making a difference, and I think that's part of it. That that first one didn't raise anywhere near what they're raising now. I remember right. it made like three or four grand, and yeah, we were like, "Wow, that's yeah, awesome!" It was and amazing. I remember the year they did twenty grand. I was like, "No way!" It's like, this is yeah. mind boggling. It's amazing. It's you know, amazing. It's a really cool thing. It's the coolest thing. And then, and then, yeah, right. Everyone's just hanging out. Like I run in and catch up with people. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't seen them in forever. Um, and you know, Pardo sent an email like, "Hey, if you want to try and do something different or some demonstrate something," and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to wear a samurai outfit." <laughs> you know, like where else could I do that? And you know, they're making fun of me, which is awesome. And then uh, do some demonstrations. They hide behind the chairs, like I'm, you know, like it's just I'm going to be nuts, and there's going to be blades flying everywhere. It was so yeah. And I'm I'm backstage, and there's like Zach is there, and we're laughing, and then like Sarah Silverman. Just comes off stage with uh, her boyfriend, the Prime Minister of Michael yeah. <laughs> Michael Sheen. <laughs> it's like, wow! I'm like, hey man, I'm a big fan of your work. While I'm in a samurai outfit, <laughs> and Sarah goes, you know, Graham, there's talent scouts in the audience. <laughs> I say, are they samurai talent scouts? So it's just like just crazy shit like that, and just and 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 joking, and so. I run into you mm-hmm. and we start talking and I'm like, we got to get you on comedy film. He's like, yeah, I'd love mm-hmm. to. And, you know, I got time on my hands at Madman's done. And I'm like, I'm thinking about this podcast idea, which if you anyone ever says to me, I got a podcast idea, I'm going to tell you, yes, you should do it. Like I, I know, but I think I'm, that's the flaw in your plan because you, you said that before you heard what I said, and then you were sort of committed. Yeah. You're like, nah, you should still do it. I guess. You should, yeah, you should still no, do no, it. No, 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 no. You said I want to do something about board games, and I'm like, do it. Yeah, board games are a huge resurgence right now. Because it's true, and this is the thing. Will the, Wheaton's um, huge in, into board games right now. Trust me true. when I tell you. As a guy that helps run a festival and has done a documentary on podcasting, the weirder, the more, the more narrow cast it is. The more niche, the better. The better. 
Sure. So only do card games. <laughs> right, right, right. But you were like, you said to me, you're like, but Graham, I have some obscure German board game. I'm like, yes. So yeah. There's people out there who will hear this and go fucking crazy. For I one. have that game. <laughs> <laughs> and there are there are people that will listen to it. Look, like I said to you before, I think that any podcast, I can't believe we're talking about this. Any podcast that I'm going to do, first off, is going to be probably about board games because it is sort of the thing I uh, think about when I'm not working or on a podcast. <laughs> it's just like what, and also my family. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I just am like. They're like in fifth place. Whatever. <laughs> um, right after Risk Legacy. Summer's yeah. board game meter. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we came and we have Risk Legacy right up there. That's right. And it, it's uh, such a great, it's great game. game. It's a great game. I haven't, haven't finished it yet. I just, um, my concern is there are kind of two ways you can go with a podcast like that. I, if I talk to people, who are deep in the hobby, um, and there are plenty of them, I'm, I, I think I'm only going to reach an audience of people within the hobby, which is fine. I'm not necessarily looking to like change anyone's opinion on board games. I think if you like board games, then maybe you would listen to a podcast where I'm talking to people about But are them. you going to make eye contact? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, my social anxiety uh, comes fully uh, in form when I'm across the table from someone at a board game. Um, no, I, but I think that... Uh, now, if I if I changed focus a little bit and focused on people in the say like you know the entertainment community and their what their board game of choice was growing up, with I think that's something that would be more palatable to the masses. That said, there's room for that. But for me, I want to talk to the guys who are like designing. Then do you it. Know, I know, I know, just, I know. Rich, just what do you? Here's the thing. <sighs> hey, you know what's great about podcasts? No rules. No I fucking know. rules. Does you could do both? I could do both. Yeah. One episode, you have the guy the, uh, that creates the, the, the weirdo thing that yeah. Yeah. You, people you have. Love. Yeah, right. you have one episode. You have both of the Parker brothers on. Right. And then, <laughs> right, right. Stephen Jerry Parker. Yeah. Welcome to the show. <laughs> And another one you have. Um, I you love. Know, I love that you know both of their. I don't yeah. know that, that those are absolutely <laughs> no, not no, their names. Commit to it. Commit yeah, commit to it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, another one you have. Will Wheaton talking about uh, you know playing. It's a small world. Sure, or whatever. Here's sure, the small other world, thing yeah. too. And this is something I say like when young comics go, I want to do a podcast, and I say if you're doing it to get big and famous or get your own TV show like Mark Maron, you're making no, no, no. it yeah. wrong. Do something you're excited. Do something you're about. excited about, and you. You've had a you have a nice you're doing all right career wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just do it because you that's you, you don't want to do it. Yeah. Yes. Because th- th- then there's no there's no downside. And the other thing too, like record it when you want if you're busy. I mean, like doesn't have to be every right. Week. That's I mean that's that's one thing that I really I, I mean I, I always and you can bank them. They're not time right you know? exactly. I always thought I would be end up in radio. That was sort of when I was in college. I thought that was what I would actually do with my theater degree was do radio. And I did it for a few months and I loved it. And then I kind of kept focusing on the acting thing. But I, I do. And I that still, goddamn madman got in the way of his radio <laughs> career. <laughs> but, it, but it's still something that I like really have always been passionate about radio and All right. sort of into it. It's something. best. Uh, one of your favorite cooperative games that you can play with the family. Well, there are there are many of them. I think Pandemic is sort of um, big right now, especially they're they're doing a big charity push. But yeah, Pandemic, Matt Leacock game. It's a game where you all come together and to you're fight trying a virus. to fight a virus that's yeah. the, or actually four different viruses that are kind of right. blowing up all over the world. Now, is that like what age is there? You could probably play that. I would guess age seven up, right, something right. like that. Cool. Here's the Pandemic. thing I will say. One of the things I have loved about doing this show for five years is once a week. We have either a friend, like comics I've known for years, talk about movies, 
or someone such as yourself. We don't know each other that well, mm-hmm. but we could come over here and talk movies. And it's when else would I have an hour long conversation with you or with anybody? I mean, like, and get to talk about board games. Get as to well. talk about sure. board games and movies. You know what I mean? And I think like. It, 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 you could then have these amazing conversations with longtime friends, people you don't know that well, people in show business you just you like their work and would love to get to know and hang out with. Right. And and it's the it is the coolest thing I've learned so and and also too, like, you know, Chris and I have even talked about this in the documentary, like no matter what's going on in our lives, stress, money, blah, 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 career, come here once a week and talk about movies. It's laugh. therapy. Right. It's That's fucking nice. great, man. So no matter what's going on in your life, you know you got board week, board game, board game whatever. Week coming. <laughs> right. yeah. Steve and Jerry Parker coming yeah, in. Yeah. They're going to come you over. Know, you've got Milton Bradley one day. Milt. Milt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just and saying. You know who you probably could get though, probably like Steve Jackson or somebody. No, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I have feel. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a real life board game nerd. I've been in this hobby for a while, and I have gotten to know many of the people who design games, produce games, and I think that it's. I think I'd have no shortage of guests in in the industry, which would be in that industry, which would right. be really, really fun. That's the thing is, I just don't know. I think I. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll just shut do the fuck up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right, fine. But now, uh, okay, so I'm going to call it Graham made me do this. Like, <laughs> like, like some of our favorites in the house too, of course. Risk, mm-hmm. um, Munchkin, kids mm-hmm. love Munchkin, mm-hmm. and um, we got Castle Panic, uh-huh. which is another cooperative, cooperative game, one, yep. which is the, the kids like. But it's impossible. Yeah, that's the only issue with it. No one can win. You know, that always uh, beats us. We'll have to tone down the rules uh, because they have like if it's too hard, no one like, can win Castle Panic. Yeah, no one can win Castle Panic. They have like, all right, well, you know, and they always couch it like well for younger players and like no your game's a little too hard (laughs) so then you add these other rules and then one game i always played was only a two-player game when i was growing up and i love this game and i just found it again because they re-released it was the awful green things from outer space oh i have not played that i've heard about it unbelievably fun game but it's you know two player right whenever you want either one of us either together or separately as guests on your show all right all right yeah We'll All launch right. it out. God damn it! Fine, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> hey, by the way, with so, Risk, have you have you played a full game with the kid? Like, how long has it taken you to play? Have you done the full game? We did a full game. Yeah. yeah. How long did it take? It took uh, over the span of two days. <laughs> okay. So I just want to make a recommendation: if you go to Target now, or or you know any any reputable retailer, the Risk that they're selling is actually called Risk Revised. Uh-huh. And this guy Rob Davio, who's a designer, used to be with uh, Hasbro, and now he's kind of cut out on his own. He's the designer of Risk Legacy. Oh, which is amazing. He's the guy that did that but before mm. risk legacy he redesigned the base rules of risk really? to make it so that it still feels like risk but it plays in about an hour oh, and wow. it's great so i, I recommend risk it has a lot of the stuff that you are liking about risk legacy without the ripping up the cards the writing on the board and all that right. it's just playing risk but but it it feels like a, a sort of tip of the hat towards that way Done. To, so that amazing piece of information you just gave me mm-hmm. i would like to listen to more of that <laughs> <Yeah. bitch. laughs> Because we have a special edition of Risk on the back of the board is Castle Risk, which you oh, can't get anymore. That's right. That is uh, very hard to find. So anyway, let's go to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, fans. Uh, yeah. We're going to put Rich's Twitter handle in this post. You better tweet the shit out of him telling him he needs to make this podcast. Yes. Oh, God. I want to be one of the first guests. I got a lot to say about board games. That's right. Yeah. Um, You're going to be in PodFest 2016 with this board game. Yes, I, I can't wait. 
Um, so let's talk about DVDs now. It's Christmas week. Uh, as you can imagine, not a lot coming out this week. Um, uh, here's the weird thing. Studios and retailers want you to have already bought your yeah, DVDs yeah, by bad. now. Um, so The Good Lie uh, and The Trip to Italy. And uh, those are all the right. only two that are coming out. The Good Lie. Um, all right. This movie came out in November. A very limited release. Sudanese refugees given the chance to resettle in America arrive in Kansas City, Missouri, where their encounter with an employment agency counselor forever changes all their lives. Starring Reese Witherspoon. Wow. I don't remember this. No, movie I don't remember that, that movie coming out either. Now, a, a tri- the trip to Italy, I do remember coming out. This is a uh, a British comedy, and I, I think it's actually a sequel to. Oh yeah, Steve to the Coogan. to the trip, right? The, the trip, yeah, 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 that's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I am a huge Steve Coogan fan. But, yeah. I, he is absolutely unbelievable, and he's one of those guys too that you could watch him being hilarious, or you could watch him do a serious acting mm-hmm. piece and absolutely equally, uh, engrossed. It's just these two guys just talking and doing Bane impressions and shit like that. Right? <laughs> I'm on board. Yeah, but in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. It's fun. like uh, my dinner with Andre, except uh, funny and yeah. compelling. And, <laughs> and with, it, with more scenery. With more scenery, yes. <laughs> yes. So, and now coming out this week, obviously it's a big Christmas week. There's a lot um, coming out. Um, this is the new Angelina Jolie movie, oh, yeah. uh, Unbroken, mm-hmm. but a uh, uh, World War II POW gets Caught by the, it was first he's stuck on a raft, then he gets uh, captured by the Japanese mm-hmm. and has to go to a, a prison camp. So it looks really good. I mean, I'm really excited. It looks to phenomenal. See it. Yeah, yeah. It looks upsetting and phenomenal. Oh, and unbroken. Unbroken. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I want to see this. Um, the more I hear about it, the more I want to see it. I, I read an article with uh, Angelina Jolie um, talking about the guy that it's actually based on. He passed away this summer at age mm-hmm. like 96 right. or 97 and the thing that she said and this is why um like it makes me not feel bad about any of the insecurities i was feeling while making earbuds traveling around the world she's like opening day of shooting we're in the ocean shooting those scenes that are in the trailer of them like in the raft before yes. they get found uh-huh. by the japanese and she goes she was just going what the fuck am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Like, this is such an important story. I don't know yeah. what. I've never directed something like this. Mm-hmm. And um, her casting choices, uh, the 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 main um, Japanese uh, soldier that's like, uh, you know, the big bad guy, um, she, she goes, that guy needed to be, have the swagger of a lead singer in a band. It's like, what? And then, so she casts uh, this dude who is in a boy so band. So Scott Stapp huh. from uh, Creed. Is that <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but she, he was available. Yeah, yeah but, he, was, uh, he was free, and he was already on a raft. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> ah, come on. Chris Madsen, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe his name was uh, Takamasa Ishihara. Sorry, um, and, uh, but he's like he's, he's like this big like boy band Justin Timberlake type guy in Japan. So I don't know. The more I read about this, and then I when I saw Wild, I saw it at an AMC where there's dine in. Yes, mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Um, and so what they've been doing at AMCs now is they've been showing like trailers with like interview behind the scene foot like they did it with interstellar yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and so they did it with angelina jolie talking about that and what you know the process of making that movie and how hard it was and and how important this story is to tell and so i'm i can't wait to see this more than 
Like, this is amazing. Now, the next movie is The Interview. This is the uh, James Franco, Seth Rogen film. Now, here's the thing about this movie. I saw the trailer, and I'm not on board. But uh, I really think the premise to me is absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. I love the premise, but the trailer literally turned me off. Mm. Like, I, I think it's it's just... Now, it could have just been the trailer. It really could have, because um, it could actually be very smart and funny, but... The, um, Could the, it have been your fear for our national security? <laughs> yes. That they hacked yes. so many. <laughs> and what did they tell the world? Yes. Something we've already known, that uh, executives are a bunch of assholes. Yeah. yeah, isn't that weird? That's like, oh, that's the big reveal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, what was the other quote? Look at the emails they found. Adam Sandler movies have no value anymore. <laughs> what? That That's really? That's the shocking news coming oh, out of the hacked wow. uh, <laughs> the emails? Snowden. <laughs> uh, so, but I, I love the premise of you know they get an interview with uh, the North Korean dictator and the CIA comes to them that, that you have to assassinate the, him when you get close enough, and then they're hanging out and they realize well he's kind of a good guy I don't know if we want to assassinate him <laughs> and that really makes me laugh you know the but the trailer was like oh yeah it just it didn't come together for but me. The, the, well, my question then is. Is it because so many studios do not know how to cut together comedy it trailers? It very well could like be. They very well could ruin be. comedy yes. trailers. Uh-huh. I watch that trailer and I go, "This is either going to be really funny, like this is the end, um, or it's like, oh, I'm done with these two guys together." Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I can't. I can't decide. So, and that's exactly how I felt watching it. I'm like, okay, love the idea. I think the idea is hilarious and it could be really funny. But then again, my my trepidations could just be the fact that they cut together trailers. Could be. All right. So, let's. What do you uh, think, Rich? I mean, I'm going to see it. Yeah. uh, If for no other reason. I mean, look, I've, I've rarely felt entirely let down by one of those movies, but I, uh, there's, it's certainly in a genre of, uh, of, of movies that, uh, I lump it together with everything else. I don't think the storyline changes much from movie to movie. I generally enjoy them. (laughs) It's fun. This one obviously has a different spin, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I'll see it. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Well, they got real life death threats. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. Good for them. Yeah. Congrats. (laughs) (laughs) Or see the uh, Australian movie, The Interview, in 1998 with Hugo Weaving. That's not a comedy. Yeah. (laughs) No. It's remarkably different. Very different movie. (laughs) Um, So the next movie is Into the Woods. Now, I will say, I am not conflicted on this trailer. Or or this um, concept. If I got to watch this trailer or the fucking Mordecai trailer one more time, I would watch Mordecai. I don't know. Really? I, I really do. I think this one. Oh, behave. Yeah, or whatever this one is. Keep saying because I just yeah because I just in my head I just replace him with Rowan Atkinson and uh, <laughs> your only hope. Yeah. <laughs> but this uh, but this into the woods. You're pulling gone. a Rowan on him. Yeah. <laughs> this trailer. It, it's like oh um, hey could we get every famous actor in this to overact and choose their own wardrobe? Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we can. So it looks and. Into the wood, into the wood, and like, wait, do a do a very slow turnaround, like someone very mysterious has come into your house, and then uh, wait, wait, don't show Johnny Depp's costume yet. Uh, He's in a zoot suit in the Big Bad Wolf, like a Tex Avery cartoon, because that's what he requested from the costumer. Yeah. Uh, so I I really think that this is going to be a huge, big budgeted, overproduced. This is going to be a musical hook. 
is what this oh, the, movie is going to be. They, here's what they did. They looked at the, the, the Christmas Day slate and went, okay, we're going to put something in there for the kids. Yeah. Or the family or the whatever. Which it's is weird a because, super dark story, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, which is weird because the, the story is dark. The original play, it's like, mm, it's not really for kids. Because look, this is the, this is the Christmas Sexual Day. Sexual awakening kind of type. Of, but they have uh, taken out a couple of, look, I'll, I have to say, um, I'm sorry to do this, but I am very excited about this movie. But it's because <laughs> I, I am a, a bit of a musical theater dork and also I that would Woods be a reason why like, you would not want to see this movie you would just no, want to go to see the you I would want to go like see the it. show again I like that music so I'll see anyone sing it just to see it uh, if, what if it was what if it was I the, saw Fiddler in the Roof at a high school yeah because I was like fuck I'd love to see Fiddler in the Roof right now I know they're gonna massacre it but I just want to hear uh, Sunrise Sunset All right. and I went and watched and uh, you know it was pretty so bad this, but it's still you get to what if this movie, movie starred the chipmunks <clears throat> you still see it. I can, you still I can, see it. Yeah, I can. Yeah, you know, just from your hesitation, you're like, you know, I no, might yeah, be right. more excited. Just <laughs> <because>. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. All right. I'm with it's you there. Musical with the chipmunks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. let's, right, let's right. be You've, honest. Now, now you've sold me. All right. <laughs> so two big thumbs way yeah. up from Rich and Chris. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the woods. <laughs> so our next movie is American Sniper, which is also a musical. Yeah, which was a weird it is choice. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, again, the more trailers I see of this, this looks really amazing to it's me. It's a very intense movie. I, I mean, I know that's kind of like the pattern where you um, release a whole slew of different genres on Christmas Day. Right. And this is like, okay, here's the war drama, Hurt Locker-ish type mm-hmm. movie that's going to be on uh, Christmas Based on Day. on a true guy, Clint yeah. Eastwood. I mean... So I, that I trailer, think by the way, is like you are holding your breath the whole It's very trailer. intense. It's yeah, intense. Yeah. I saw a second trailer that he's getting interviewed mm. for a TV interview, and they say, um, "How do you feel about you know what you've done or how many people?" And he, he goes, um, "How do you like?" I forget the question. It's basically like, "How do you rectify yourself with the, the fact that you've killed all these people?" And he goes, "When I go meet my maker, I'm going to tell God to give me every shot I took." Oh Jesus! And you're just like. Uh. And then they intercut that with all the other footage you saw from the other trailer, and you're just like, "Fuck!" Like I want, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see this movie. Yeah, I am too. And then, of course, Big Guys is coming out. Yes. Uh huh. Um, so that, yeah, and that's uh, so it's going to be, you know, it's another good Christmas season of uh, films. There's something for everyone. Um, when I say that, I mean people who like movies and people who don't. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> something for each of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's do a little quick uh, fan feedback. Um, the thing we want to talk about uh, on this particular episode is a fan of the show, Ashley Raper, who's a Twitter... I don't know, my phone is just beeping. Or my Oh, that's my watch. Oh, your super watch? Yeah, the watch I bought for $18 in Hong Kong. I think the time is up on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> you got your $18. Yep, I got my 18 bucks. Got it in August, yeah. guys. What a deal. Um, but it just, did, it just injected something into your wrist. That's what's weird, <laughs> it's too. It's turning green. <laughs> um she uh, is a fan of the show. Her Twitter handle is at Juno Rose. Uh, we interviewed her for earbuds, and she made this most amazing piece of artwork. She took the earbuds logo and then um, drew it, and she the Kickstarter logo, the, the yeah. Kickstarter logo mm-hmm. with uh, that has earbuds, and then has all of the logos of the various podcasts in it, and it's just amazing. And um, the fan art, I had this idea. And I'm saying it out loud, so it kind of forces me to do it. Okay. Which is, I think, at next year's PodFest, we should have... Have an art show? Have an art show. 
you know? Did I already tell you this? No, but I saw where you were going with Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> um, let's have an art show of all the fan art and mm-hmm. get all of the shows that are in the festival to bring any, because every show gets sent awesome fan art. Right. Which you will be sent amazing board game fan art. This I can <laughs> yeah, you will actually. No, you will. It's it'll be art. it'll be awesome, and uh, we should have an art show because she, Ashley's been doing all this stuff for various people. Well, then maybe we uh, we'll need a new hotel for a, with a little more space. Well, we might with a little hotel. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if Sofitel is kind of suddenly being dick, so we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> um, we'll take our giant bags of money <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah, that none of us got. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's our. Speaking uh, of the Sofitel, they're the ones that got it. Yeah, thanks Sofitel. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's a great idea, and what we could do is, um, uh, it would be one of those things, almost like the lounge, where it's like a hangout area. Too, it should be. We could, could just have, put it in whatever the hallway or little area with, yeah. and just put a, and post all this cool artwork from all the various fans from all the shows. Have a silent auction and keep the money. Yeah, yeah, and steal it from them. Yeah. Steal their ideas <laughs> and fuck them over and say we drew it, just like yeah. they guys. <laughs> You guys um, got it figured it out. out. <laughs> um, yeah, you do a podcast, Rich. You can be evil. Wow, yeah. um, that's what it's all about. No, no I think no, we should I think an art show is fantastic. I and and really yeah. want to, you guys. Uh, um, this artwork is on the Comedy Film Nerds Facebook page. It is also on the Earbuds Facebook page. It's uh, very intricate too. It's very um, intricate what she's done. Like zoom in on it. The, the amount of work she's done on it. It's it's really cool and. Uh, there was also an amazing article. Oh, this fucking watch is going out of its mind. I'm sorry. It's, it's, oh, there's a bomb in my watch. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, well, we were talking about the interview. Something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the North Koreans found my yeah, watch. Yeah. Um, but um, With help of the Google helicopter. <laughs> um, several fans emailed me uh, that uh, article um, about. Um, podcasting and depression. Yeah, I saw that too. It was a, it's a great article. And it is a really cool article and it, it features uh, Mark Maron. It also talks about mental illness, happy hour, yes, and yes. Paul Gilmartin, mm-hmm. um, and how it's a subject that a lot of podcasters are, have dealt with and are talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's also a lot of fans have come forward and said, you know, your po- we got this interviewing people for earbuds, which was your, your podcast helps deal with my depression. <laughs> and, you know, um, Again, I posted that article on all of my social media and on Comedy Film Nerds and on Earbuds social media. So read that article. It's very cool, you guys. And I appreciate the fans sending us this stuff. And as I posted, um, the depression, mental illness, uh, and how podcasting has helped it is definitely going to be a featured part of the documentary. We got some amazing yes. interviews uh-huh. from from Ashley, to name a few. How could you not mention it? I mean, it's a big part of it. It was a big part of it. As we were filming, so many fans were saying, oh, it helped me get through depression. It helped me get through this Mm -hmm. mental illness. And, oh, I listened to Paul Gilmartin's show or whatever. And so that's been really cool. So we just want people to know that that's going to be a a definite part of- uh, Very cool. So thank you, you guys, uh, for sending that stuff in. Um, That's our program. Yeah, we want to thank um, you guys uh, uh, a lot for supporting us all this year. This year was a very, um, in a good way, a challenging year. We had a lot going on, everything from the festival to the film and still running uh, Comedy Film Nerds every day. Yeah. And uh, you guys helped us do it and by supporting us and supporting the store. And uh, we will be uh, taking some time off. We will still be dropping episodes, but mm-hmm. uh, I want to let you guys know the next week or so. So the 
if you order something, it'll it'll be probably about a week delay. Yeah, after the holidays. Yeah, yeah. About we'll, go. We'll be back in the office on January yeah, yeah. first. Um, but of course, you can still use coupon code ten uh, percent off everything in the store with "I'm a cheap asshole." Yeah. So don't, for, don't forget, <laughs> don't forget that. that goes till January first. <laughs> we give you yeah. up this heartfelt thanks <laughs> and then insult you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's our that's our, that's our way we. And we have new Dana Gold stuff too. We have Dana mm-hmm. Gold's new CD. Um, you can check that out as well. Uh-huh. Um, so, Rich Summer, where can people find you on the internet? Talk to you. Anything coming up? They should check out. Well, the uh, <clears throat> final half of the final season of Mad Men is yes! coming out, like we said, March right. or April. And then uh, uh, I did, uh, but, uh, Rich Summer on Twitter, <clears throat> R-I-C-H-S-O-M-M-E-R. Them at that you put an at sign before it and then you'll find me on yeah. Twitter. Typically, you know, I think you guys know how Twitter works. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to explain that to you. Do you have a website too? I do, uh, did. I did. I had one. Uh, it's still there. It's not really being, uh, I haven't kept it up. So I, so Let's so reach say out no. on Twitter. You know what? I, yeah, re- let's go to Twitter. A better let's answer would have just been no. Yeah, but see, <laughs> I have this compulsive honesty thing, so I, uh, it's going to be great. This podcast is just going to be great. <laughs> um, all right, are there any like other shows or anything that you've been on? Because I know you're sort of doing some guest star stuff here and there that anyone can see. Um, uh, and when does Summer Games with Rich Summer start? Summer Games. Oh, that's that's the name good. of his podcast. Oh, I just made it up. Yeah, that's something. That's Summer something. Games. Let's think about it. Um, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> wow. a lot of names out there. No, wow. no, no, we're taking yeah. all comers. Yeah. 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 He just put you on a long list. I know, I saw that. Hey, if I can get to you know, the top five. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. all right. Um, I did the elementary this year and the league, and um, I'm going to be on the, the, I don't know if I'm, I think I can say that. I'm going to be on the Simpsons, uh, really small part, but I did I recorded something for the Simpsons, a couple episodes of the regular show. I've been trying to do cartoons lately. That's been really fun. Oh, cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, some of that. And there you go. Look, look forward in 2015 to the board game podcast, the Rich yes. Summer Board, whatever that's. Yep. As <laughs> <laughs> we, we bully him into doing it. <laughs> um, all right, you guys. Uh, I will be um, headlining uh, New Year's Eve, doing two shows at Skyline Comedy Cafe at Appleton, Wisconsin, and then headlining Zanies in downtown Chicago, January 2nd through the 4th. And of course, uh, the improv at Harvey's Hotel and Casino. In Lake Tahoe, January 28th through February 1. Check those out. Excellent. I will be at the Improv in uh, Palm Springs, the Fantasy Springs Casino, over uh, Martin Luther King weekend. I'll be there Friday and Saturday. All right, you guys. Thank you so much um, for everything. Thank you to our guest, Rich Summer. Thank you. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han Han shot shot first. first.